are in week eight of our um, Peace and Purpose series. Um, today, um, our topic is titled The Good Fight. Um, after the sermon from, um, from last week, um, Nicole had a question. And ironically, the question was exactly where we we're going this week. And so I wanted to start our conversation today by posing that question and then going basically from there. Um, she asked the question, how do we as believers fight the good fight of faith when our spirit wants to do good, but our flesh we're constantly warring with? How do we do this? How do we do living out our faith. Um, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter seven, when he says, when I want to do good, evil is always present. He says, I want to do the good thing that I want to do, but I end up finding myself doing the thing that I don't want to do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let Paul speak for himself. When he says, Starting with verse 13, did that which is good then, talking about the law, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Now if, what I, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right in my spirit, I'm paraphrasing that, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who, deliver, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And I'm going to say this part just because I love that this is the very next verse, even though it's in the next chapter. So sometimes we divorce it, but it's like you got to keep the thought going. He says in the very next verse, therefore, it, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whew. Thank God. So that was just for me. Um, but what Paul is describing is exactly what we as the believers go through as we're going through the process of sanctification from one degree of glory to the next, as we are becoming more and more like Christ every single day. Though we are secure in our salvation, there is still a war that we have to fight, a spiritual war that we have to fight every single day from now till kingdom come. And that is the law of putting sin to death, 
while delighting in God at the same time. The tension that we talked about last week and the week before. And so the challenge for us as believers is that when we become the, the sons and daughters of God, when we become the children of God, when we become a part of the kingdom, we have to be, we have to remember that God is making us more like him, that he has replaced our heart of stone with a heart of flesh that is, that is bound to love God and to serve God and to delight in God. And so we therefore love what God loves and we hate what God hates. We delight in what God delights in and we abhor what God abhors. But in order for us to understand and unpack that, we have to first understand what it is that we're living this life for. Most of us as Christians, when we start off being Christians, we love God like we, we are in love with some Jesus. Right. Like when we first become saved, we first become delivered, we first become a part of the kingdom. Like we're just like, yes, I am all in. I'm all in. I'm down for God. I want to be more like him. I want to do exactly what he wants me to do. I'm, I'm here. I want to be everything that he wants me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll serve where you want me to serve. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll play what you want me to play. I'll be more like him. So we're studying our Bibles and we're going to church every day and we're praying every day. And we're trying to fast and you know we don't want to because food is good and we want to do all these things for him. We're trying to figure out what ministry we're going to be in. We're trying to figure out whether God wants me to be a pastor or a preacher and we're trying to do all these things for him and we're so gung-ho and we're so fired up for him, right? But then the trials come and the tribulations come and the issues come and the, and, and, and the struggle comes. And we sometimes will lose the, the lose sight of what we're here to do because we weren't expecting life to be so challenging by virtue of being a part of the kingdom. We were taught or we were told that things were going to be easier, that, you know, our sin was not going to cripple us anymore, that we are going to be now, you know, able to just live a good life here on earth. And in doing so, we'll never have struggles again. We'll never have problems again. We'll never have trials again. We'll never have tribulations again. We're going to be living the good life now. But we don't, but we sometimes fail to realize as believers, whether we've been in this game for 10 minutes or we've been in it for 10 decades, that in this life, we will have trials. In this life, we will have struggle. In this life, we will have issues and the fight of faith is not such to where everything's just going to be easy. Jesus said it himself when he talked about the parable of the sower and the seeds. He dropped seed on the ground and there were four different types of ground that he dropped these seeds on. One of those um, grounds that he dropped that he dropped um, seeds on was the ground of the thorns and the thistles. The thorns and the thistles represent the trials and the tribulations that we face in this life and the things that come to choke out the faith that we have. The, 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 the other soil was the rocky soil where we couldn't get enough roots. We shot up real fast, but we didn't have any roots so that when the sun and the heat of the day came, we didn't have any ground. We didn't have any true solid ground in which that would allow us to be able to grow and endure the hardships of the sun. In both of those cases, we find that either the cares of this world or the hardships in this life have come to snuff out what we believe. And if we're not careful, we will think 
that the trials and the tribulations or the cares of our flesh are so unbearable that it must mean that we're not in the kingdom. It must mean that I don't have a relationship with God or it must mean that God really doesn't love me like he said he did, because if he said he loved me, I wouldn't be going through stuff. If I if he really loved me, I wouldn't still have this desire to sin. If I was if I was, um, you know, if he really loved me, all of my issues and problems would be gone. I wouldn't have any hard times. I wouldn't have any struggles. You know, I w- I'd have a high paying job. I'd have the, you know, the bomb wife or the bomb husband. My kids would be perfect. My house would be perfect. Everything would be good if God really loved me. If God really loved me, he'd take away this desire to watch porn or this desire to do drugs or this desire to um to 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 hang out late night um late nights. So he'd take away the desire to, to lie or to gamble or to steal or to gossip. He'd take away this anger or malice that rages in my heart all the time. If God really loved me, he'd take all these things away. Paul said in his word that God gave him a thorn in his flesh. And that thorn in his flesh was there to torment Paul. Paul asked God three times, take this thorn from me. And God said each time, no, because my grace is sufficient. And so Paul gloried in his tribulations, recognizing that the strength of God is made perfect in the midst of our weaknesses. And so what God is trying to tell us today is that a lot of times we want the struggles and we want the trials to go away, but those struggles and trials are not meant to be um, a means of punishment, but rather they are to help us to exercise our faith, to exercise our faith. And as a result, we as the believers in God have to be ever so careful that we're not, you know, mistaking the, um, the, the life that we live here as the life that God is meant for us to have, as if this life is all that there is. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 16, and um, verse 16 through 18, he says, Well, no, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read 8, 16, 21, because it's all good. From 16 through 21, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The, um, behold, the new has come. Oh, ooh, excuse me. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is he saying there? He's saying that in order for us To truly value the life that we live now, we have to remember that we are not physical beings. And unless and until eternity becomes as important to us as it is to God, we will never appreciate 
the journey of being made more like Christ. Because the only way to truly appreciate being made like Christ and enduring the hardships that come with being like Christ, we have to remember where we're going. We are eternal souls with an eternal purpose, with an eternal destiny and an eternal home. And if we're not careful, we will think that these 70, 80, 90 years or however long God decides to let us live before he calls us on is it. And that we're simply living for this life and not living for the life to come. And so what God says to us today is that eternity and in the eternal, in the eternal, in the eternality of our souls has to matter so much to us that we no longer view our lives through the lens of the material, that everything we do is being seen through the lens of eternity. Matthew chapter six, what does Jesus tell the disciples to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is not a physical thing yet. It is a spiritual thing. He says, get your eyes off of the material world and get your eyes focused on the spiritual. Paul says it in Colossians chapter three. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is. He's not talking about the clouds. He's not talking about the sky. He's not talking about the stars. He's not talking about the sun. He's not talking about the moon. He's saying, get your eyes off of the material world and get your eyes on me. Paul says again in Philippians chapter three, I'm pressing toward the mark of the high call through um, which is um, which is through Christ Jesus. He's saying, I've got my eyes off of this world and my eyes are set on Jesus. All of that is saying we have to remember that we are eternal beings bound for an eternity. And if we're not thinking about eternity, then we will mistake the trials and the tribulations that we're going through as if those things are a sign that we're not in the kingdom or a sign that we don't have power or a sign that God doesn't love us because we mistake the kingdom and paradise as a vacation on earth. We think that God's just going to let us have it easy from now to the till till kingdom come. And can we call a spade a spade? Now in the generate in the in the in the in the world that we live in today, more so than in any other generation, we look upon the people in social media and media and um and movies and TV and um, all these personalities and the TikTok universe, and we see them, and because they're put together, they're pretty. And I'm a hypocrite in that regard because, you know, when I put my TikTok videos together, y'all ain't seen ugly me. Y'all seen pretty me. So I'm so I'm there, too. Like, you know, sometimes you see my face not all made up. But what I'm saying is you see the pretty version of everything, but you don't see the struggle. You don't see the hardships. You don't see the hard times. You don't see the trials. You don't see the tribulations. So the expectation for a lot of us is if I become a believer, my life is going to be good. We equate paradise to the good life on earth, which then cripples our ability to fight the good fight of faith, 
which is getting us prepared for a paradise in the life to come. So when our lives don't look like the people on TikTok, they don't look like the people on Instagram. They don't look like the people on Facebook. They don't look like T.D. Jakes and they don't look like Joel Osteen and they don't look like, um, you know, G.E. Patterson or they don't look like um, Matt Chandler or they don't look like all, all these, you know, um, you know, high powered um, pastors, you know, the Timothy Kellers of the world. Rest in peace. Like when we don't when we don't look like them, what the 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 the, the pretty versions of them, we sometimes feel like God must not love us. God must not care. And again, it's because we have equated paradise and in the eternal peace that God has given us as if it means that our lives are to be good here on earth. Now, as I'm saying that, what I'm not saying is that God would not give us good times. I'm not saying that God would not allow us to go on vacation. I'm not saying that God would not give us, you know, bomb husbands and bomb wives and bomb children. You know, I'm not saying that God won't give us, you know, some of the things that we want in this life. But what he's saying to us is that if we say that we are a part of the kingdom, God is going to transform our desires in such a way to where we are loving him more than anything else. That our love for him supersedes any other love, passion or pursuit that we may have in this life. When he tells us to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart, he's not saying, love me and I'll bless you with everything that you want. He's saying, if you love me, I will give you more of me. Delight thyself in the Lord. Love the Lord. Care about the Lord. Affection toward the Lord. Passion toward the Lord. Then I will freely give you more of me. The greatest thing that you could ever ask for, the greatest treasure you could ever possess, more of me. And so what he says to us is when we make eternity more important than anything else in this life, it allows us to see clearly how it is that we're meant to fight the fight of faith. For what God allows us, what God shows us, what he equips us with is, is, is a Holy Spirit that reminds us every single day of our eternal peace and our eternal purpose. Colossians, going back to chapter, um, Colossians chapter three, which we, you know, we've been, that's been downtown where we've been at for like the longest time. But again, we are setting our think minds on things above. We are actively putting sin to death. We're clothing ourselves with the, with the fruit of the spirit. What, 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 what Paul tells us is the same thing the Holy Spirit is telling us, reminding us of our eternal peace and reminding us of our eternal purpose. We have an eternal peace with God by virtue of Christ dying the death that we deserved, living the life that we couldn't live, crediting us with his righteousness, becoming sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. He has secured eternal peace with him. And again, I was talking to some people on um on TikTok the other day. Y'all, we we oh my gosh, when you realize how amazing it is that the king of the universe has made peace with us. I was telling the other day, I wish I had the president's number on speed dial. I wish that I had the governor's number on speed dial. I wish I had my mayor's number on speed dial to help me get some better internet over here. 
You know, I wish that I could, you know, call up LeBron James and say, hey, can you throw a million dollars my way? I wish that I could talk to some of my favorite celebrities and be like, hey, can y'all want to come over to the house and let's do like a let's do like a sing a sing along. Let's get John Legend in here. Let's get um music soul child. Let's get Stokely in here. Let's get Kalani in here and just have them sing to us. Get Kelly Price up in here and let them sing to us. Boys to me in. Oh my gosh. I would pass out if boys to me in were in my living room right now singing songs to me. Like what? You can sing the you can sing the phone book. But and how awesome would that be if I had access to these people? God has secured an eternal peace with us where we have all access to the God of the universe. All access to the creator of all things. Like people, when we, when we realize how big of a deal that is, when we got, David said it like this, when I look out into the sky and I see the stars that you put in place, I look at the mountains and I look at the rivers and I look at all this stuff you've done, the animals that are everywhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? I am nothing compared to the almighty God. God himself challenged Job when he said, hey, Job, where were you when all the when all the stars were formed? Where were you when everything was put in place? Where were you? Because I'm here. I created all this. Where were you at? God is saying to us that even in the midst of him challenging Job, what was he doing? Talking to Job one on one. He didn't send a representative. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a donkey to talk for him. No, it was God and Job having a whole conversation. That is the kind of access that we have to God that Christ secured by going and descending into hell and rising again on the third day so that if we believe and repent, we have all access to him. That is peace with God. In a space where the just God has every right to, you know, call us out and to have and, and basically, you know, you know, kill us on the spot. Like he doesn't have a, he doesn't, he is the king of the, you know, I say this all the time. If God wanted to, he could take me, put me out in the grave, create a whole new me, give him all my memories, all my thoughts, all my feelings, everything that's ever happened. And I wouldn't even know I died. And so I say that all the time because that's just how powerful God is. But God thought it not robbery to let us live long enough to have a relationship with him. That's why I say to y'all all the time, unbelievers, God loves you, wants a relationship with you. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Like I say, I don't say that just to be saying it. I say it because it's true. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. And so in the midst of that, the peace that God has secured with us is such to where he allows us to have a relationship with him, an intimate, personal, deep relationship with him. That's a peace that we can't buy. We can't barter for. We can't trade for. And the Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to remind us that we have peace with God. The second is like the first. To remind us of what our purpose is. What is our purpose? Our purpose is in it, and I'm, I'm a, it's, it's so it's so big and it's so magnanimous and it's so you know it, it'll take me literally the next you know thirty minutes to really explain what it is that our purpose is. God tells us, "Glorify me." That's it. 
That is our eternal purpose. We, we look around all day, every day. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. We reinvent ourselves every five to 10 years trying to figure out what's the next big thing I'm supposed to be doing. I remember talking to somebody. Um, they, uh, I remember talking to somebody before um, a long time ago saying, you know, yeah, I need to get a new job every two to three years because, you know, we end up getting stagnant if we stay in this one place. And I'm like, dude. I remember my parents and my grandparents, like they were living literally to get to, you know, the 30 years of working the same job that they had. And they had peace with that. Like they were okay with that. That's what they wanted to do. Why are we jumping from job to job to job to job? You know, as if we're, as if our purpose is to just go from one place to another. Why are we not, you know, settling down? I'm not going to say settling, but settling down for the, in the space that we're in. And again, that's indicative of how we are as people. We're constantly wandering, trying to figure out what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? We even do it with God where we're praying to him, God, what is it you want me to do for you? What is it you have me do for you? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? I don't understand what, how you want to use me. What do you, and God says to us, I got hype because I'm talking so fast. God says to us, I designed you and made you to glorify me. I designed you and made you to glorify me. So what that tells us as believers is that because we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow God. This goes back to what we said two weeks ago. We have to love what God loves and hate what God hates so that we can be more like him as we're walking about being the ambassadors for God to a world that needs saving. Not that it's our job to save the world, but it's our job to reflect and renown the glory of God. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, which is a whole nother sermon series, is, God, how do I reflect your glory? How do I show the world? Heck, how do I show myself what it means to be like you? That's why we read our word. That's why we study our word. This is why we pray, because God is hammering us and chiseling us to make us look more like Christ every single day. So we have to ask God, not ask the world, not ask people who are experts in a specific field, but ask God, God, how do you want me to, um, to look in my marriage? How do you want me to raise my children? How do you want me to work? How do you want me to get along with my coworkers? How do you want me to serve my boss well? How do you want me to do my job effectively? How do you want me to steward my body? How do you want me to steward my finances? How do you want me to, um, to, to enjoy vacations? How do you want me to watch movies? How do you want me to listen to music? How do you want me to be lazy? Like all of these things are answered in the word because God has a specific way in which we are to glorify him. And in that specific way, it allows us to be more like Christ every single day. You know, people will say, for instance, like if you, if you're a Christian, you vote Republican. Uh, no, no, you don't have to vote Republican. You ain't got to vote Democrat. You can vote how God calls you to vote. Because God says in his word that we are to serve the governments and to serve them well. But we don't know that if we're assuming 
this is what God wants. We got to study the word and ask him, God, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to reflect and renown your glory? Now, again, it's not to say that we, you know, become so anxious. We're like, OK, I got to look and see if there's a specific scripture that says that I have to do it a specific way. No, but the Holy Spirit will God will guide us into how we are to do whatever it is that we're meant to do in this life. That is how we fight the good fight of faith. Once we know what God wants for us, we then ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we're meant to do. And yes, some days we will struggle more than others, but the idea is not to get a hundred. The idea is to be consistent and faithful. Be consistent and faithful. That in, even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the tribulation, we fight the good fight of faith every single day. And we do so by doing this third part that's in Colossians chapter three, starting at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is how we fight the good fight of faith. That is how we do this thing called the walk in the relationship with God. We actively put sin to death while delighting in the Lord. And we put on the things that God would have us to put on so that we are more like Christ every single day. We put these things on so that God will remind us that God will, that God will, that good, that, not, not that God will remind us. The Holy Spirit will remind us to put these things on every single day so that we can be the righteousness of God. We can reflect the righteousness of God. We're already the, we're already righteous because he died for us, but he's given us equipment that we put on every single day to be more like Christ. And so how do we fight the good fight of faith? We remember that our peace has been secured. We remember that our purpose is to glorify God. And we put on these fruit of the spirit. So that when we walk out into the world, the world can see that we are the difference. We are God's people and we reflect and renown his goodness, his love, his peace, his joy. That so that someone may see us and our light shining so bright and glorify God because of what they see in us. And so. If you find yourself struggling, if you find yourself struggling with your faith, 
struggling with how you are as a believer in God or struggling to believe altogether, I pose this question to you. Are you are, is there anything that would cause you to be so opposed to being a part of the kingdom that you won't give Jesus a try? Is there anything at all that you are so staunchly opposed to God about that it would cause you to not want to have a, con a conversation with him to figure out exactly what it is that, you know, is, is becoming or has become the stumbling block for you? What's going on in your worldview or what's going on in your heart space that's causing you to not be where you want to be or to do what you want to do as a part of the kingdom? And if that and if that's you, what can what can God? Well, not what can God do? Can you put yourself in a position to at least entertain the question? God, can you show me who you are? God, can you show me who you are for the ones who believe God has given us an eternal peace and an eternal purpose? What's hindering you from walking in that? What's stopping you from walking in the eternal peace and the eternal purpose that God has already promised you, that God has already given you? What is stopping you from being able to have the type of relationship with God that you are meant to have by virtue of walking in what God has already given you? You don't have to earn his peace. You don't have to earn his purpose. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to earn anything from God. You already have everything you need from him. So what is now hindering you from walking into the eternal peace and the eternal purpose that God has promised you? And with that, I say to, I say to us all again, you know, be reminded by the Holy Spirit of your eternal peace and your eternal purpose. For again, all of those and so much more have been eternally secured by the power of Christ who, but who became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God and is both Savior and Lord of our lives. Walk in that, for that is your power. Walk in that, for the Holy Spirit lives in you and has given that to you so that you may have eternal peace an eternal purpose secured in him. Most gracious heavenly father, we thank you for just allowing us a few moments of, of this time to be able to minister to your people on today. We thank you for just ministering to us on today to remind us of our eternal peace and our eternal purpose in you. Lord God, I'm asking on this day that you remind us over and over again that you secured our peace. You secured our peace by virtue of the whole of the of, of the whole Christ dying and rising again for our sins that he you know died on the cross rose again on the third day gave given us the power um to walk in you to love in you and to delight in you upon repentance and belief so we're asking God that you strengthen and encourage us and embolden us today Lord God to be able to do the things you called us to do and to be who you have called us to be Lord God, I'm asking and praying that you just continue to look over us and watch over us and protect us from all danger seen and unseen and help us, Lord God, to just be more like you in everything that we say and do. Remind us that the peace has been secured and remind us, Lord God, that our purpose in you 
is so simple that we just glorify your name in everything that we say and do. Though we know it is a challenge and it is and it creates trials for us because our flesh wants what it wants, the God that our love for you supersedes what we want in our flesh as we crucify our flesh daily so that we can live the way that you would have us to live, patterned after your love, your grace, your truth. We're asking, Lord God, that you just continue to be with us and continue just to bless those who are um, watching, Lord God, bless those who are going to watch in the future. And for those who don't have a relationship with you, Lord God, we ask that you just minister to their hearts on today, that they may grow to grow curious enough about you to allow you to minister to them and show them who you are, who you really are. Not what the internet said, not what Google said, not what Wikipedia said, not even what their own flesh said. Because as we know, a lot of people have read this Bible, but they still don't know you. And so God, allow them to just know who you are, to get to know who you really are, and to be able to secure the same peace that we have through Christ Jesus. And all these things would be so careful to give your name, praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.